Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Welcome to Papercut. This week we'll be discussing Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky, published in 12 monthly installments in 1866, Russia. So Crime and Punishment is a Russian novel by supposedly one of the greatest thinkers of the, of the time, Fyodor Dostoevsky, and it follows a um, young man named Raskolnikov, a young lawyer who's still in training and still studying, who lives in extreme poverty. And one day he decides to kill this pawnbroker and basically steal everything she has. And of course, it's not as simple as maniac killing. It's him thinking through the process, rationalizing to himself why he wants to do this and why it's actually a good thing for him to kill such a person. And soon after killing this person, of course, there's an obligatory hunt where the police try to find out who the killer is. And at one point, they, fl- they put the finger to him. And of course, that gives him a lot of pressure. He tries to escape. Eventually, they find another guy who they believe killed him. But even after that, he finds that the guilt is still there enveloping him. And at the very end, his lover, Sonia, convinces him to hand himself in to the police, explaining the process and why he should be jailed up and why he needs redemption. So in the end, he gets sent to Siberia to serve out his sentence, which was quite light given the circumstances. Now, I'm oversimplifying a lot as well. There's also a massive subplot concerning his sister and his mother and how his sister was originally given an arranged marriage to a richer, so second-class person in Russia so that that person can pay for Raskolnikov's education in law. So quite a few elements in play at this, but I think what I want to focus on today, Eugene, if it's all right with you, is I want to focus on the main storyline, just the the part about him killing and part of the development afterwards. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, if we were to focus on every single theme in this book, we'd probably be here until next week. Exactly. In fact, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. This, This book has been made into films like 25, more than 25 times, apparently. And even Hitchcock was offered to turn this book into a movie. And he said, no, the story is in the books, is in the words. And if he was to convert everything into a movie, it would go for over 10 hours. <laughs> so, no, he said no to that. Wait, but, I mean, you've read the book, uh, say, a little bit more recently than I have. So what were your thoughts on it? Like, how did it make you feel? So I felt like the book, uh, the main idea that I got from that, is the whole doing a crime and not getting punished. And then, like, the guilt that you feel. Mm-hmm. from it so how that affects a person that's one main point that the book was trying to i guess illustrate so in raskolnikov's case we can see how he lets his guilt eat him up a bit um actually quite a lot mm-hmm. um towards the end as we will see later i guess that kind of struck me because if i got away with crime i i i think i would be happy but will i actually be is this like a mindset thing like you either have a mindset of a killer where your goal is to get away with crime and once you get away with it you you feel you sense it as an achievement but like what if you're not of that mindset but you manage to do it well then your decent self uh, as to say well that starts eating up to you and be like yo what the hell is wrong with you so yeah that was i guess that was the main thing that got me thinking in a book okay because I think I remember reading it and I thought it was a very interesting premise. Um, it wasn't by any means original because I think we also live in a time where, you know, like CSI is a big thing, NCIS and all yeah. that stuff is just basic exploration into the criminal mind. Whereas you have 
this one at the written at the time in 1866 people were like oh killers just kill because they like killing full stop there's no complexity behind it and i think if you have i have to really pull myself back and look at it from this context because when i look at it from this idea that back then people just thought killers were just killers full stop and everyone was normal dostoevsky came out and said no killers could be the everyday man and this is how the everyday man will rationalize things uh I, what i find also quite interesting was his resolution to it as well mm-hmm. so it towards the end of the book sonia raskonikov's lover basically convinces him to hand himself in and the way she does this is by offering it to make it seem like some christian sort of god like saving the soul redemption of the soul sort of thing uh, as a way uh, to atone for your sins. So she made it sound very religious. Now, I'm not 100% sure I agree with the leap of logic between like, oh, you need this, you need this sort of spirituality to confess. Mm-hmm. But I did think that, hey, at the time, it was one, it was an interesting factor to consider. So that's something we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on with the book. But I guess... This book actually is a challenging one, and I'm glad we're talking about it. So I guess the first question I'm going to throw at you, Eugene, is: Is it ever? Is there ever a right reason to kill someone? And the reason I ask this is because obviously in the book, Raskolnikov, he's reasoned that this pawnbroker is really rich. She's hoarding. She's mean to everyone, and he's reasoned that cost-benefit analysis overall, she'd be better off dead. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So actually, interesting question. Right reason to kill someone, I think there are two aspects to this. There's right reason to the killer himself, yeah. and there's right reason to society. So what's the right reason to the killer himself might not fit society's definition of what the right reason to kill. So in a society's, in a societal definition, right, the mm-hmm. right reason to kill someone will be naturally anyone who is committed to like the death row. Um, anyone who's been trialed by law and the judges say, all right, you're enough of a piece of for us to kill you, you know, mm-hmm. basically but you know for a person they can go through the exact same logic but because they don't have the same recognition as the judges then even if they could be 100% justified in their reasoning mm-hmm. it might not be viewed as a right reason to kill someone so in the case of the book here Raskolnikov you know he wants to kill this landlady this pawnbroker because she is such an asshole right <laughs> and we can see in a book you know, that the two times she's appeared, that she really was an asshole. So, you know, he was justified to kill her, um, as far as, I guess, the book's setting was concerned. Mm. Um, you can you can tell that Dostoevsky was trying to write her as a character that's hateable, that makes us feel no empathy for her when right. she gets killed. And I do also want to say that he doesn't just kill the landlady, he also kills the... Half-sister. Half-sister, right? Who's a bit disabled. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And... That one, you know, not justified in the book sense. But if you want to say, okay, he wants to cover up for his crimes, is that a justifiable reason to him? Maybe it is, but not to the average reader. Maybe the average reader would have like multiple views on whether the pawnbroker deserves to die or not, given like she's not uh, quote unquote so old and like not a very nice person. Maybe there will be a bit more people who agree her dying isn't that big of a deal. But her half sister who just came in and just saw it off by chance. You know, we don't know anything about her. And she just got killed off. So, yeah, sorry. Getting a bit out of topic here. But I guess, like, my answer to the whole, is there a right reason to kill someone? I don't ever think there's a right reason, Mm -hmm. um, as per se. But I feel like um, 
people kill people because they think it's justifiable in their head, but it, it will always be unjustifiable in the other side. So mm. yeah, that's my two cents on it. I, I think that's a. I think you've you've touched on something important here. It's like just because you have the right reason doesn't mean you should do it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the common question everyone returns to is if you could smother baby Hitler in his crib, should you do it? That sort of thing. Mm. Or if you know this person's going to go out and commit atrocities, should you kill them? And that's something... I mean, this is, of course, a bit more extreme because I think in the book, it was a li- her crimes, the pawnbroker's quote-unquote crime, was that she was just not very nice and she was cheating people as well. Yeah. And her punishment at the end was death, like... By someone's blade and so yeah i guess that's like a sort of mini crime and punishment within that as well and it, it's interesting that you point that out like the other side will always try to reason something else and i think that just goes to show that the human mind is a very powerful thing it, it can is, justify yeah. anything almost i mean if you speak with like the right amount of words and the right sentences and the right vocabulary you can pretty much say anything is anything it's true yeah. when you when you really when you i mean yes when you boil it down like that like you really can I think the interesting part of this book was, like I said, he's already rationalized that he wants to kill this person. And you can either agree with me or disagree. I think this book is split to two. So before the killing and after the killing. Oh, yeah. So oh. before the killing, he's like confident. He's sure of himself. He knows he's going to kill this person and he knows it's the best thing to do. And after the book, he's a mess. He's uncertain. He's just thinking, oh my God. Or how do I get out of this? I He's jittery. He's not certain of himself at all. And it eats him up alive. And I think that's a very brilliant explanation into the psychological events happening in his mind. So that's why I think this is one of those first instances of a psychological thriller. Because mm. it is played out in his head more than anything else. Because if we, if we got this perspective from just, I don't know, from just like the police, the inspector's perspective, we probably wouldn't see so much depth. Yeah. But just because we, we see it from his view, you get to see like, oh my, this is, it's eating him. You can mind. sort of experience his mental breakdown as the book goes on. I remember seeing a lot of passages, like it's just him sleeping and just sleeping and just sleeping <laughs> for like the later half of the book. It just shows how exhausted he gets. He, it's trying to like get out of the situation or even just to reason to himself that he's okay. You know, it takes up so much of his space and time and effort and, and I think at one point he tells everyone, like people point out to him, oh, you look tired, you look sick, is everything wrong? And he goes, everything's fine. And initially he pretended to be sick, pretended to be tired. But then eventually, I think at one point he actually does become sick. Yeah, no, yeah. And I think it's it's really human. That's what I will say about that. It's always easy to say, oh, this killer, he deserves no sympathy. He brought this on himself. But this book was also trying to say like, you know what? What if he was unwillingly put in that situation? Because I think another interesting thing to bring up was Dostoevsky himself was a prisoner. I don't know what his crime was. I think it wasn't it wasn't murder, I don't think, but he was a prisoner. And so mm. he obviously probably met a lot of other fellow prisoners. And to him, they were like, look, these are people like me. They're not instinctively evil. They have been dealt a rough card. They've played their cards wrong and they've ended up here. So it's interesting to get that sort of mindset as well. And I don't know if this was the one of those first few books to actually say something like that. But it's also in- what's also interesting is, like, is there really... A- the protagonist in this book is uh, Raskolnikov, but in some sense, would you call him an anti-hero? Yeah, for sure. We definitely don't agree with what he's done, right? So an anti-hero is someone who you can sympathize with, but his methods might be a bit unconventional. 
mm. and might not be accepted by society. And I think he is, in every sense of the word, an anti-hero here. Fair enough. I, because I guess the other way to look at it is actually he was the villain all along. That sort of way to look at it. And the only difference is he's a villain, but we have an insight into his mind. It's a bit like uh, I mean, it, anti-hero and villain are two sides of the same coin, really. Ooh, I've heard different. I've heard different accounts of that. Mate, if we watch The Incredibles from uh, what's his face, Syndrome. Yeah, from Syndrome's perspective, he would be an anti-hero. I guess that's the main point. Right, no one's the villain of their own story. Yeah. Um. Okay. okay how about something like Breaking Bad, for example? Uh-huh. So, Walter White, obviously, he at the end he does some god awful things. Would you still consider him an anti-hero? Because I it reaches a point where. In the beginning, I'd say he's an I think anti-hero. as long as I can still sympathize with the main character, I will call him an anti-hero. So what if you have a villain that you understand his perspective and you actually understand what he's trying to do, like the main antagonist? Would you call them the uh, Then anti-hero? it depends on whether the story is written in their perspective or not. Then. That's my point, right? It's so, just that it's whoever the story focuses on. That person becomes an anti-hero or a villain. So, like, I mean, you can say in Breaking Bad, for example, that Hank is quote-unquote the villain, even though Hank is actually one of the only pure good guys in the entire show. I'd say he's more the antagonist more than he is the villain. I guess so. I think, that, I think, I think that's how I look at it, because I, I know we're getting into definitions of terms here, but it's more like protagonist, antagonist, villain, hero, anti-hero... It's more tiny definitions. Yeah. But I think, like, um, just to go back to this book, mm. right? Just that I can sympathize with Raskolnikov's cause, um, and his rationale is quite clearly laid out in a book, such that you can follow it and be like, fair enough. I guess I can see why you're doing it. So from this point, I can say that I view him as an sort of anti hero mm. in that sense. It's also interesting because. As a reader, you're looking at this and you're also forming your own judgments, aren't you? Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but whenever I read stories where I hear about the villain's crimes and I think, oh, this person deserves XYZ punishment. And a good example would be like Game of Thrones, um, Joffrey. Like, I, in my mind, I, every day I was like, okay, he's going to get his just desserts one day. He's going to, one day he's going to get, I don't know, like flayed alive, whatever. Yeah. And that's the punishment I have for him in my head. And so I'm trying to think, like, maybe this is a reflection of us as well. So as Vaskonikov paints out his views and paints out how bad this pawnbroker is, maybe he's trying to like hold the mirror up to us and say, actually, you're passing your judgments on her as well. So there's crime, there's punishment, but does the crime necessarily fit the punishment? Does what you think qualify as punishment, should that actually be the actual punishment that's going on to that person? So on one hand, I do think that there's an element of him playing out crime punishment in the story but I actually think that it is to a certain degree holding a mirror to us saying like you're thinking we are judging her as well alongside with Raskolnikov we're judging all the characters at the end oh yeah, yeah. true so we're always thinking like do they do they actually deserve this should they get their just desserts so I I don't know if that was his intention but that's how I look at it as well because when you there's some stories and I think there's one black mirror episode where um it's it's the white bear episode oh yeah, yeah, yeah. where we just it just forces us to ask ourselves like how should we ascribe punishment you know cuz how why is it that like murder I think he gets away with this in the end with 8 years of 8 years of Siberia mm-hmm. so like how do we actually ascribe such punishments why is it not like an eye for an eye for example why 
if you kill that per if you kill these two people, why shouldn't we kill you and your your other family member, for example? You know. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's tricky this one. It's a tricky point. It's tricky. It's tricky. I do want to say that him laying out all his um, reasons out. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, is there also an element of him wanting her possessions, right? Because he was under yeah. financial trouble, and he was saying those things to make himself feel less bad. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I guess there's also an element of that. Like it's not it's not that she completely deserved what she got. It's because mm-hmm. he wanted um, the money that she had, and he was like, by the way, she was a bad person. So you know doesn't make that big of a difference what i do i guess yeah i think i think you've hit the i think you've hit the point right there mm-hmm. like so sort of backwards you can rationalize yourself into anything almost you know back exactly. to that point it's like yeah you know he uh caught a speeding ticket like eight <laughs> years ago so it's totally justified that i beat him up you know? exactly <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm curious now okay so the one thing i was sort of trying to figure out next was um, we had this discussion earlier in the second half of the book what exactly was he most afraid of mm-hmm. so obviously we talk about the guilt eating him up alive but what part of the guilt is eating him alive because for guilt to work you have to be afraid of something I think and he is. what is he afraid of is he afraid of God is he afraid of going to Siberia prisons is he afraid of like his fa- the thought of his family suffering without him what is it he's afraid of and it's something I thought initially he was afraid of being caught and being thrown to Siberia and that's it I thought that he was as simple as that just afraid of that but I think you had a diff- you had a, another viewpoint to this like what, of what he's afraid of I think that what he was afraid of was the idea of um, closure so whether like he gets the, the consequence of what he did right because he hasn't um, suffered it yet so there's always like that potential of it coming mm-hmm. so it's this anticipation feeling I, I, I want to almost say anticipation but it's like it's not done with you know it's not over and done with it's still here it's still like a thought lingering in your mind and I think that is the emotion that he was experiencing in the end just that constant anxiety an- yeah anxiety anxiety of I guess like when he gets caught, what will happen? But it's more so maybe there's a grander scale of I haven't got my punishment for this yet. What will uh, happen to me? You know, if I don't get if, if I don't get caught in this life, what will happen to me the next life, right? Mm. So like, um, I'm just like going on a stretch here. But say come judgment day, God picks you out and he goes, Yo, you killed this old woman and you didn't serve any jail time. Will your punishment then be worse than if you just serve your jail time now and you can go, yeah, but I'll serve my jail time and during my time on earth. There's, I think there's a little bit of that in there. It's, I think you're right, you know, because whenever, I'm not, I didn't kill anyone, but whenever I do something bad, I'm always, I'm always thinking like, maybe it's a, maybe it's a product of conditioning, but I'm very much if I do something bad I'm waiting for punishment almost like, and it's, yeah. it's a brutal feeling and I'd rather just get that feeling out of the way I'd rather just confess and say hey it, w- it was me and if I did something bad yeah, you yeah. Know? So, so this actually ties into the point of the killer mindset and the non-killer mindset because the killer mindset is you like you kill it because you want to mm. like you want to kill for Raskolnikov he doesn't want to kill he just wants her I guess he wants her possession in the end mm. so Killing is part of the way to get it, but like the killing 
the cost of killing is so huge that he's not prepared to face it, right? So for example, if you've watched Dexter, then you would know the main character Dexter, like, he kills because he has an urge to. Like, he needs to do it and he feels no remorse. And that is the only way you can get, you can get through the whole guilt after killing thing, is to not feel it in the first place. To do it, like, not even, not, not even because it's justified, but because it's something that you're prepared to face the consequence of. Mm. Such that when you do it, you go, okay, what's the worst that can happen? You're prepared to go to jail. Mm. Or you have got your alibi perfectly thought out. But still, you need to be prepared to go to jail. Because, like, you can you can plan everything correctly. Like Raskolnikov has, actually. Yeah. Or, but he doesn't got to plan correctly. But, like, he's got everything going his way. He can literally get away with it. Yeah. He even told them that he killed someone like at the end and they didn't believe him right it was it was at that stage you know that he still feels that so you need to be prepared for the punishment that's the main point if Raskolnikov was prepared for the punishment then I don't feel like he would be in as much trouble as he was experiencing so do you think that he was so you thought he prepared for the crime but you, you don't think he was prepared for the punishment no Okay, because I thought it was more like he prepared for he was prepared for both crime and punishment, but he realized that he sorely underestimated the punishment aspect of but it. Then he wasn't prepared for the punishment. Then. I, okay, I suppose you can see that that way. Yeah, because he, he knew mm. that he had to kill someone, so like he had to bear the mindset of what will happen if I kill that person. Yeah, what will happen? How do I get away with it? Yeah. And also, I guess he didn't think that far as well. And also. Raskolnikov, like we said, he's a he is a non-killer. He he's not like he has empathy. He does empathize with characters. He is, in the very sense of the word, very human. Mm-hmm. He's not detached or anything. He's he's very much in it. And for him, I think I think it's similar to what most of us would go through if we end up killing someone. Because there's almost something evolutionary. Like it lingers on us when it, like apparently you hear stories of people saying like, oh, you know, I killed this person. It's my cross to bear forever. That sort of thing. And it really does... It's hard. Like, there are cases where you give a gun to someone and say, come shoot them. It, they will They will try and miss, you know? Like, yeah. they could have perfect aim, but they will miss. It's almost inbuilt to not want to kill the other person. And when we do, there's a lot of override... There's almost an evolutionary guilt. Even if you can't put your finger on it, there's something going on. And I guess what the way we've pictured it is maybe it's like he should have been prepared to go to jail, be prepared to get caught... Maybe there's a bit more to that. What do you think? So you, wait, so you like there's like, an evolutionary, almost evolutionary reason, or even spiritual reason to think like. I mean, I, yeah, I guess, I guess we just have been brought up thinking we shouldn't kill, right? Mm. That's the main thing. We were brought up to think we need to be civilized. We need to sort everything out by talking. We shouldn't even get into fights. I mean, like, even if I accidentally hurt someone, I would feel guilt about it. So if I feel guilt about that, what about killing? You know, that's like. Of infinite times worse than yeah. just like you know giving someone a cut or something so I guess there is that the education that we were brought up with the morals that we were taught I guess um, you've touched on the spiritual part of it which I think is to do with the morals that we are taught so um, the biblical morals or or I guess like any other cultures with their own morals as well like they're all very similar don't kill people yeah. don't be a bad person yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, in order to get past those, you need to, like, actually just either be brought up that way or your brain is hardwired for some reason to kill. 
one way or another, right? But those will be like the, a right. very small amount of people. Like majority of people will feel good after killing. Exactly. Rightly so. Thank God, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I guess that sort of links back into uh, his lover's like final point. Like you you should you should confess to your sins so that you can be in God's good books. But uh, like I said, I'm always I don't know about you, Eugene, but for me, I'm always a bit iffy on that. I'm not sure like, how I felt about that sort of resolution. I feel like there's more of a sort of his religious self speaking, it is. right? It is. Whereas, like, because we aren't particularly religious ourselves, we just find this to be some kind of a um, vanilla a, rant or something. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's a way out. Yeah. It's a way out. But obviously, like, you can translate it to... What, what, is, what is the exact quote here? She said, you need to be in God's good books. Uh, no, I, don't, I don't think that was the exact quote. Okay, but, but like, the, the... The general gist of it. The general gist of it was, you need to confess, so... God wouldn't like Atone God would know soul, that. Okay, yeah. Rede- redemption. But I guess that. like you can translate it to a more modern sense, which is um, you want to be a good person, you need to be in your own good book. Exactly. So I guess that's there. There are different ways to interpret it, but it's the same idea. Mm. So okay, okay. I I, I know we're, I'm conscious of time, and I I really wanted to share this quote with you, and I think you have a quote as well. So the quote I really love from this book, and I think it's probably my favorite quote of all time. Yes, of all time. It goes a bit like this. Pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. The really great men must, I think, have great sadness on earth. And I think that's, that's heavy, that's beautiful. And, I'll let, and I think, I, I don't want to explain it too much, but for me, it encapsulates a lot of how people feel like you know we always ask ourselves what do we, what should we do to be happy what should we do to be that but have you need to ask yourself it's going to be a lot of suffering mm. it's going to be a lot of suffering so I, I think i'll leave it at that for now i do hope to go back to it one day but i'll leave for that okay and for me my quote is um to go wrong in one's own way is better than to go right in someone else's not as profound as yours but just a thought I have. Better to be the anti-hero of your own story than to be the supporting character of another one's. I guess it's also a way of saying, like, experience is the yeah, main thing, you know? For sure. Like, it's better to have experienced it than have someone say, like, no, no, you know, don't try it yourself. All right, then. I mean, that's all I want to say about this book today. Anything else to add, Eugene? Nah, not, not from me. Just... Uh, if you do a crime, better be prepared for a punishment. Or don't do a crime. Don't do the crime don't if you can't crime. do the crime. If you can't do don't the do time. The oh my god. Alright, I think that's a good place to end then. Alright, guys, that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening in. If you like what we do, follow us on Spotify. Just type in Papercut Podcast in your search bar or in any of your other preferred streaming sites. If you want to leave us a comment or let us know what you think, you can email us at papercut.cast at gmail.com or Instagram at papercut.cast, no caps, or Twitter at papercutpodcast, one word, no caps. Look forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode. Until then, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Peace out. Alright guys, 
that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening in. If you like what we do, follow us on Spotify. Just type in Paper Cut Podcast in your search bar or in any of your other preferred streaming sites. If you want to leave us a comment or let us know what you think, you can email us at papercut.cast at gmail.com or Instagram at papercut.cast, no caps. Or Twitter. At Papercut Podcast. One word, no caps. Look forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode. Until then, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Peace. Out.